welcome. Next time we do this, I... To um, Joey Hates Movies. <laughs> we are talking about the film Persona, which has nothing to do with the anime that's really popular now. But this is the 1966 film by Ingmar Bergman called Persona. Are we not talking about the video game Persona 5? No. Oh, I definitely consumed <laughs> the wrong media. You'll never see it coming. We're not talking about any of the anime offshoots, nothing. This is the old Swedish-ass movie. And, yeah, I'm Nick Limone, and I'm joined by Coral and Joey. That's Hello. us. You sound not excited. No, I am excited. You sound, I just you sound wanted, like, just, like, like a downer. This is the appropriate mood to Oh, the appropriate mood? Okay. Yeah, there's just... Let me, and let the, me get into character. And when the film opens, we're seeing we're presented with images of a projector lighting up and a, a giant tarantula spider on top of a, a piece of glass. But, but we were talking about Persona, guys. <laughs> Before we go into this, I gotta know, like, I had seen this movie once, maybe like five years ago at this point. In school? No, I watched it of my own will, like own free will. Oh. I was just like, oh, I gotta, people say this is a movie I should check out, so I watched it. And I remember having a very different reaction to it then than I did now. Coral, have you seen Persona? I had not seen it until I watched it last night. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't what I was expecting at all. I don't really know anything about Bergman, just that he's like the director. You have to, like a very, a very studied director from the 60s. Yeah, so people always say else. he's like one of the, the greatest directors of all time. Mm-hmm. Like that he's often cited as being one of the most influential filmmakers of all time. It's probably because he makes pretty pictures, right? Like quite literally. Well, I mean, that's to be fair, like that's the thing that I always have a hard time struggling with. Like he doesn't actually frame a shot. Right? It's the DP. It's the director of photography whose job is to, like, no, this is where you want to put the camera. This is how this is going to be framed and blah, blah, blah. The director has final say, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think it's mostly the DP. And he's worked with this DP a lot throughout, I, I believe, most of his career. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's always the thing. I'm like, wait, what does the director actually do? And they just – they wrangle people. They're, like – they're telling things, boy, what, this is what's happening. This is how we're doing it. You're going to do this like this. I didn't like that read. Let's try it again. What if you, what if you walked around? What if, what if you just looked mad over here in this corner for a bit? I think <laughs> that, that sounds easy. I think that's – oh, it's a little bit harder, I think, than, than you might realize. But, Joey – you obviously have not seen Persona. No, until, that's, until that's part of the charm of the podcast is that I haven't seen any of these movies before, right? Imagine if someone's just listening for the first time. And it's because you hate movies. You just actively dislike movies. So the objective... That feels, that feels strong, but I'll take it. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll it, put on that Persona. The, the title of our show is literally Joey Hates Movies. It's oh. as strong as it gets. But the goal of our show is to try and present Joey with movies that we think he will like. And it, even... And, I think this one is a, a, a bit of a tricky one because I want we've seen things Joey likes. He liked Evangelion. He's liked The Thing. He's liked uh, what's the Michael Mann movie? Collateral. He liked Collateral. He hates Jurassic Park. <laughs> but we're trying to fine tune Joey's movie taste. I think we're at the point where we have an idea of what Joey likes, but now we're trying to see how far we can broaden his horizons. And that's what I attempted to do with my recommendation of Persona. And let me tell you, about 15 minutes into the film, <laughs> I was not happy with you. I was thoroughly 
I felt so. I, we, we joke a lot on on this podcast that uh, we're giving homework to ourselves or homework to to the audience. Mm-hmm. But for the first time, this felt like homework, like something that was <laughs> assigned to me that I had to go home that I didn't want to do, and I just kind of had to slodge through. And then I didn't have the option of like turning off halfway. I just had to continue to subject myself to and try and you know make lemonade out of, out of the lemons it was oh man i don't know what got to me first nick was it like was it being black and white was it me having to read subtitles the whole time was it oh, i just so, wanna, so many things i want to know what joey's face looked like when he realized the movie had no color and was also in, <laughs> in swiss i feel like you told me it had no color so i like was expecting that but i feel like i might have forgot about the whole subtitles thing which <laughs> but they're white though joey it's fine but then i also <laughs> okay the first thing i see is just a giant penis. And then I have to wait like <laughs> 10 minutes for the actual That's movie to start. That's not the first thing yeah. you see. That's just the first thing that stands out to you. That's the first thing you see. That's the first thing that's on. No, that's not just, true. Just a big old dog. You see, you see a, a film. The film opens with a film projector getting turned on. And we see a close-up of what is that? What is? Is it like a? It looks like a wick of some sort, like a can. It's not a candle wick, but it looks like it. I don't know anything about actual projectors. Coral, do you? No. <laughs> it just looks like there's something burning. We're seeing close-ups of a projector, and then we are presented with a quick flash frame of just an erect penis for like a frame. Yeah, I think it's a frame. I went back to stop on the frame because <laughs> I was like, was that circumcised? I was, was curious. It? No, it wasn't. Uh, yes, it was. Excuse me. <laughs> I, for, I forgot which what, one's which. What you, me. This is the first time we've had a movie. Like, there's two movies that do this that we would probably watch for this show. This one and Fight Club. <laughs> and, like, that made me think that the David Fincher was like, oh, I'm going to put a dick in here because of Persona. Like, that made me think that that's why. There's, that's yeah. clearly, like, a callback to it, right? It must be. I mean, this, this movie's so influential, I feel like. You can see like echoes of it in so much everywhere. Modern, yeah, everywhere. Are there other movies that have just they start with sheep murdering too? That I'm that there actually is. yeah is uh, the Bunuel film Unchan Andalau. I think Unchan it's the Andalou, same. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to stop chewing gum into the microphone. Yeah, please, please forgive me. But but Joy, I want to know though. Like this is definitely immediately it hits you f- from the get go with just this. Real, just surreal ass, like a lot of images that are presented to you with zero context. What is your first thought upon seeing spliced images of a penis, a goat, uh, a lamb getting its throat slit, and then also an old black and white movie about a, a man who's very scared of demons? I, I was looking at this stuff, and, and really, I, I, was, I was like, okay, is this commentary on films what's going on here like i i I have no context understanding for for what we're seeing Mm. and just proceeded to get more weird all the flash frames i didn't say either of those words right (laughs) flash frames all of the of the film burning all of the boy waking up and then just immediately punching his his big boy fist to the fourth wall Mm -hmm. and just spiking the camera i'm like what am i watching this feels like is the word art house? I I think it might have been art house in the year that it was released, which was 1966. Yeah, yeah. that's the year my mom was born. Fun fact, everybody. Fun fun Joey trivia. <laughs> does this movie feel old to you, or does it feel like it could be a contemporary art house cinema? I think it just feels old because whatever I was watching was definitely stretched a little bit. So. Mm. 
I feel like I feel like it's old because of because of the old film. It might be able to, but like modern, there's some modern movies that can be sh- that are like shot in four three different weird aspect ratios. Yeah, but that's like some pretentious shit, right? What would you say this is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, remarkably pretentious shit. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting, but Coral, I want to know what you think about the film's opening because we're we're presented with an opening splash of images I described that really have nothing to do with the the story of the movie, mm-hmm. but have a lot to do with the movie as a whole. So, what, what did you think about that? Uh, I mean, I realized it was going to be a movie about movies, or about. I feel like later on. It- becomes more clear about like the act of observation and mm. internalizing things and and uh how difficult it is to be a truly passive observer the act of just like watching something is an interaction um it was a lot i didn't think it was going to be that weird or surreal like the 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 nail that goes through the hand and the the sheep getting its throat cut i was like oh this is this is going to be kind of like a a horror movie I was pretty into it. There's something like upsetting about the the use of surrealism in this movie, and it's I think some of my favorite parts of surrealism is this: you are kind of experiencing a nightmare mm-hmm. through the lens of someone else's creative vision, and like those images kind of stack up and are kind of like feed you info whether you know it or not. And uh, like I dig a lot of the Christian iconography for no real reason. I don't think that there is anything particularly Christian. Or, or Protestant or anything like that about this movie, mm. but I just think that it, there's something about suffering that that we see in all of these images, and I, I feel like that's the through line for the surrealism is suffering, pain of some sort. Probably weren't voting in '66, right? Um, I, I don't know what things were like in Sweden <laughs> in 1966. Um, I, I also didn't realize that Ingmar Bergman was uh, Swedish, so I, I feel like I would probably learn a lot more if I knew more about the history of the country and just like the general consensus of what was going on in that time period. But uh, one thing that's weird to me, and this is like a weird internet thing, weird to me thing, is the tarantula. The tarantula. First of all, I hate spiders, and that was a very creepy spider. (laughs) But outside of that, though, one thing that I'd seen on a lot of like film forums and like subreddits is the spider itself and what it represents. And this is the one thing that I kind of did not know the first time I had seen the movie when I was like fresh out of college versus what I knew now is someone said that the spider represents God. And I was like, I have zero idea what that means in the context of the movie. I couldn't understand. And I feel so frustrated because I don't understand what that means. A spider is a God because if nothing else, I would say that the kid had probably plays a more godlike role in the way he's observing the the movie so basically series of images play out we see a giant spider on top of the the glass of the projector possibly and then uh the kid gets out of bed puts his hand up against the wall and that wall is the fourth wall and on the other side is the beginning of our movie where we're presented with a close-up of elizabeth Hmm. i also um spiders at least in like psychoanalysis and freudian theory which i feel like is Mm. relevant um spiders represent 
uh, female sexuality. Oh, it's kind I... of the the inverse of the snake representing masculine sexuality. So. Oh wow, that's that that real. I think that's a, I lend more credence to that than the god thing. I feel like Homie definitely read a Freud and a Young book mm-hmm. before <laughs> he wrote this movie. I guess you can just tell by the fact that the movie's called Persona, right? And be like. <laughs> That, that was the first thing where I'm like, do I need to go back and like reread a little bit of psychology to, to remember yeah. what some of this stuff is? Am I going to be taken down like a, like a psychological trip? And uh, yes, mm-hmm. in some ways. No, but Persona tells a story, a pretty straightforward story to some extent, plot-wise or I guess story-wise, of an actress being uh, thrown into a mental health care facility and uh, her nurse, is it? Alma, yeah, mm-hmm. Alma, the Alma the nurse is tasked with uh, taking care of this actress named Elizabeth, who was in the middle of a stage performance when she suddenly started giggling and just stopped speaking. All she could do was emote through her hands and just her giggle. She just stopped talking. Period, and that is pretty much what what happens throughout the course of the movie. Alma takes Elizabeth to her beach house, and then lots of Lots of things happen. Lots of things happen that I, I think looking back now, I don't remember what movie I had seen when I watched this fresh out of college. I feel like I had a more concrete understanding of what the movie was as opposed to now where I felt like I was left with a lot more questions. Because I think this is one of those movies where there really are no solid answers as to what you are presented with. You're kind of meant to take your own meaning from everything that happens. I think it definitely, it feels like it leaves itself open to a lot of different interpretations of like what you want to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my, my takeaway uh, was that I, th- this, is a, this is a good movie to watch multiple times. Yeah. Because it requires more analysis. I, th- I think th- I think it's more enjoyable to to put an analysis on than to actually watch. Yeah, I think it's a lot more dense than your average movie going experience. It's definitely more dense than your Avengers Endgame, where there's a lot of things to unpack, and and it's a. This is a prime example of a movie where everything is deliberately placed and meant to be looked at with scrutiny. Yeah, there also isn't like the the frames are are pretty beautiful, and they're also very simplistic. It's a lot of like close ups on faces. It's not like there's a lot of background artwork or important set dressing, or it's just like here are these two women juxtaposed acting with each other, mm-hmm. and that is the lion's share of what you're seeing. Uh, which yeah. it, it had a lot of very pretty shots. Oh yeah, with the with the lighting, like I'm sure that just doing it in black and white makes that 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 stark lighting that much more apparent. Oh, completely agree. And going back to what you said, the way the, the set is dressed, like it's very simple, but it, oddly enough, like especially in the hospital, it reminded me of a stage play, like the way everything was arranged, the way everything was sparse, and it just felt like everything flowed from left to right. And I felt like that was really like, I, again, I couldn't, there's a lot of things that I think about this movie that I can't quite pinpoint exactly, but I feel like that has to do with Elizabeth's acting career. Like I think the way a lot of this movie is staged has a lot to do with her being an actress of like theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really am kind of at a loss for words with this movie because everything just feels like so ethereal 
almost. Everything's like dreamlike and wavy and just laden with meaning that I feel like I lose the plot halfway through. But I'm not like – I don't criticize the movie because of it. I think it's just a criticism of my own attention span where I'm like, wait, what happened again? Like what's going on here? What are you trying to say? Uh, but, but what about you, Quarrel? Did you – how did you feel about this movie? It's definitely uh, – there's too much to talk about where yeah. it's like really hard to come to like this conversation and be like, what's this succinct, you know, hourish way to, to look at this? Um, I – I was kind of struck by how much I related to a lot of the things they were talking about early on, this, like, paralysis of, like, trying to find the most genuine version of yourself and feeling like that's an impossible task Mm -hmm. and just kind of shutting down in response to that. Um, And they, they have, I think with her doctor, she talks specifically about how do you respond genuinely to like horrific catastrophe in a way that's meaningful. Mm. And that's a painfully relevant question, I think, like right now in 2019. Oh, absolutely. Um, The rain. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But but we are also like immediately after that, we're presented with an image of, uh, it's a very like famous image of a man setting himself on fire in mm-hmm. protest, and you see her reaction to that. So, what, what do you? What's your take on that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I feel like I got a different answer than what was presented. So I'm just like, what's going on here? Yeah, this the, the whole movie life because it requires so much attention really made me uh, have introspection in a different way that I don't think the movie intended for me to have. I had a lot of introspective thought about how, you know, am I just one of the people from the MTV generation who has to watch everything in, in Vine form and can't consume hmm. something like this? Because it, it reminded me a lot of reading a book for college that I didn't want to read. Where I'm just like forcing myself to and then like getting distracted and then having to like snap back and being like, oh, fuck, I wasn't paying attention. Hmm. But oddly enough, this is the shortest movie that we've watched for Joey Hates Movies. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was it was hard. It was it was I, mean, I, I don't want to make too much of a joke out of it because I am also being serious that it, that it was hard for me to watch this from like an, an attention span perspective. Do you think it demanded more of you than any other movie we've watched? Yeah, I think it asks me to just pay attention, and also it's harder to pay attention when it's less visually interesting, and also I have to read the whole time. Mm. Which, which yes, is partially. But my fault. but that is interesting though, because you do men- make mention of just like framing. So like you were able to pay attention to something that a lot of people might it might fall on deaf ears for for a lot of people or deaf eyes, I should say, blind eyes. But uh, you were able to notice that, and I think that despite it having or not having color, you it still presents some sort of like. Something visually stimulating for you. The black and white didn't bother me as much as the subtitles did. I think it, with with uh, if I was listening to this movie in English, I might be able to mm-hmm. pay 95% attention instead of being required to pay 100% attention, which was problematic for me. Okay. <laughs> Carl, did the subtitles bother you in this? No, honestly, I think they helped. I mean, I'm just... I'm a visual learner much more than an auditory learner. So the kind of dialogue that's very um, dense and theoretical, I think I processed a lot better mm. having read it than just hearing it. Interesting. I'm definitely a, a, an auditory learner. Mm. And I'm also yeah. like primarily kinesthetic, but, but mm-hmm. auditory this, way more than visual. This might be something that's a little bit unusual for Joey Hates Movies, but 
Let's start at the very end of the movie because I think that recontextualizes the way you interpret a lot of what came before. What do you think happens at the end of this movie? You basically have uh, whoever knows how long vacation between these two women and when their vacation is nigh up, they get very mad at each other (laughs) and one leaves on the bus and the movie ends. What happens in this movie? And were there two people? Is that the conversation of is this, if this is one person or two people? I think that might be a first viewing conversation. Yeah. Because I think that's what the film wants you to figure out from the get-go. And I think after that, it'll paint every single viewing you have moving forward. Well, they do look strikingly similar. And they make, make it a, a point to point that out throughout the movie. It's like, oh, I could be you if I was just like a little taller. And if I you know, did my makeup, I, I, I could see myself pulling. There was also multiple times where I had to like catch myself and remember which girl was which. Yeah. Alma was the nurse and she wanted – she said that Elizabeth – she said that Elizabeth looks like her if she were to try – or she looks like Elizabeth if she tried hard enough to make herself look beautiful. But Coral, what mm-hmm. did you think happened at the end of this movie? Um, I uh, – Are there two people or is it one? There's two people, but I think briefly they're one person. Mm. Is that a st- – <laughs> I think that's – no, I think that's totally fair. I agree with Coral, at least on the two people part. Yeah, and I think they're they're obviously – foils of each other's identities or each other's kind of uh desires Mm -hmm. um or the things one person kind of regrets and pushes down is more of a defining force in the other person's life um yeah and then there's there's the the blood scene which was i mean i guess it's that's elizabeth drinking alma's blood Mm-hmm. But it definitely seems more like Alma forcing something upon Elizabeth instead of the the reverse of like a vampire story where it's normally whoever's drinking the blood is like taking something away from someone. It felt more uh, reciprocal. So I felt like, yeah, these are two separate people who this experience together f- blurred those lines of who is who. And then they were forced to, to kind of violently rip back apart no. at the end. I, I don't disagree. I this, and despite me saying next, I think that there is only one person. It, it, I I still don't disagree with what you said, but I think that I'm less concerned about the like physical of this movie and more so like what the emotional and mental is, where we were presented with basically one person having it out with themselves over the course of like a month or so on this secluded beach house, where they're just kind of forced to like split their identity apart and scrutinize it in a way that most people rather wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like look at themselves with a magnifying glass to see all the ugly parts they hate, but also all the things that they admire and wish they could be and kind of come to terms with each and every one of them. Like there's something almost therapeutic about me watching Alma spill her guts to Elizabeth, who is stoically watching her in silence as Elizabeth is pouring out her deepest and darkest secrets. Stuff that just makes you kind of like, wow, that's a lot for one person to yeah, to not only say, but to also bear the brunt of knowing, the, having the knowledge of. And that just felt so 
good to me. <laughs> like watching her tell her stories was like super therapeutic. And I really just – and I think that's just because the, the two actresses just absolutely killed it as far as like one not speaking and the other just like being so open and honest with everything. Like I believed every single word she said. And then that only makes the betrayal that we see, the quote-unquote betrayal later on where Elizabeth is writing to her doctor, is it? Yeah. And basically saying, hey, this girl's crazy, man. (laughs) I'm enjoying watching her. Yeah, but then that made me think like, well, maybe I'm just as bad as her because I'm— Is that even a betrayal though because I feel like that was intentionally found? Oh, yeah. She left it unsealed. But how— messed up is it that she left it for her to see like she's like i want you to read this letter but in the same way i am actively watching this movie about someone who is telling these things and like i feel like i am a what is it what's the, what's the word uh were you yeah i'm a voyeur and in something where I, I feel like i don't belong in a way that a lot of movies have never made me feel mm. like i'm witness to something that i really shouldn't be watching yeah i felt that way too and the little bit I was reading about it, the 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 like central scene where Alma is describing her escapades on the beach, mm-hmm. a lot of people describe that as one of the like most erotic scenes in cinema, which I felt like very disturbed by because that scene did not. It wasn't sexy. No, <laughs> and it was it was someone who was very upset and like waffling wildly between these different emotions like i don't it just that was surprising to me that so many people people felt that way about it erotic and vulnerable or are similar is that because because i don't get erotic cism at all yeah i think that it is i think if based on that interpretation of people's thinking this is erotic i think it all just comes from the fact that it's about a woman having sex like at its base level, they're like, "Oh, that's 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 erotic. That's so." Well, I mean, she did bang two young dudes. That's I mean, how hot could it be? <laughs> but but I think upon this viewing, and I think that like a younger me might have seen that as an erotic scene, but looking at this now, it, it definitely feels like this is someone who doesn't really know what they're doing with their life, and they just feel like they might have felt something from this experience, but ultimately, it just left them feeling upset and just used to some extent and it just felt even grosser to even consider that it could have been sexy (laughs) like it just it just feels like someone who's like maybe i can feel something if i do this and and i think that's what this movie's about someone who has had a hard time feeling for a very long time despite wanting desperately so to feel anything Hmm. and I don't know what we leave this movie with. I don't think that we do feel it. I don't think Alma feels any better at the end of this movie, nor do I think Elizabeth does. I think that it just it's it's a it's a movie where the two characters are forced to realize like we might not have grown, but we at least have some basis of understanding where we have the potential to grow. Maybe if I feel like it. Could you like Elizabeth is like more content now than she was in the hospital setting she definitely feels more in control well yeah if if i i mean control is an interesting word here because i feel like my surface level first viewing analysis thing that i thought about and looked at most in this movie was um more about power dynamics than anything else 
Yeah, it felt like we were going fluctuating back and forth between who has the power in the relationship is Alma or Elizabeth. At well, least it's like me. a real hard shift, right? Because you're introduced as Elizabeth as this patient, Alma's this nurse, and then you know Alma's taking care of her in a very this very sterile setting. And you're like, okay, Elizabeth is the is the one who is in need here. She has no power. And then suddenly, you know, her ability for silence just speaks absolute volumes. And by being the one who is stoic and silent, and she's not the patient anymore, she's she's the doctor, she's the therapist, just by doing nothing except for being there. Well, it's always nice to have someone to listen to you, right? Yeah. That's what she says. That's why when Nick's sleeping, I go in his room and I'm like, hey, Nick, I, I got to talk. <laughs> and I think this movie does something that I think a lot of movies have done because of this movie – but it doesn't feel quite as poignant or as powerful is the scene where uh, Alma presents – or Elizabeth is holding the photo of her son and Alma is commenting on it because we see that scene twice. We, we, we have it presented from Elizabeth's perspective and Alma's perspective and it's pretty much the same the entire time except the camera is different. We see two different scenes and it's a thing that there's, – there's this uh, – at IGN, there's this uh, – the small subsection of IGN called Cinefix, and right now they're doing this this thing where they want to like look at iconic movie scenes, and basically they want to recreate the scenes, but change something. This motherfucker, a free plug. Change something <laughs> fundamental about the movie. So, like the example I saw was the Social Network, or where having the scene where it's the um, the the court case between. Eisenberg or Zuckerberg and then the the Winklevoss twins and it, it very much paints because of the camera placement and the framing and the, the the editing it very much makes it look like Mark Zuckerberg absolutely destroyed in this deposition and won but then if you recut the scene and change the camera's perspective keep the dialogue the same you just change the, where the camera's pointed it feels like a completely different scene and I think that's what this scene in Persona just absolutely kills that because it just it shows you how vulnerable elizabeth is but then it also shows you how insecure alma is it's bold to just have the same dialogue it's the same scene <laughs> it's just a different camera it's yeah, just pointed at a different character it's it's, it's crazy it's crazy yeah it's, but it's pretty cool it's cool i guess in like <laughs> a film nerd perspective but i just Sometimes when I see stuff like this or stuff that be, that can be like construed as he, as like maybe heady, uh-huh. I think of what would my parents think about watching this, mm. and I watch that scene. And I'm like, oh man, I feel like a lot of people hate this. Coral, did you hate it? <laughs> no, I I didn't feel as strongly about that specific. I don't scene, hate that for the record. But yeah, I mean, do you think mass appreciation is an important part? Um, film's worth? Uh, I think the answer to that question, unfortunately, is yes to some degree, which I, which if you break down and extrapolate more, I realize that's problematic, and I probably don't even completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. But, like, my my gut, which I take from all my other experiences, feel like that, you know, net worth comes from... Uh, value and net worth can be derived from popularity, which isn't exactly true. But I, I mean, I, I'm a big pop fan and like across all culture and most of my favorite movies are like pretty big pop culture reference points but I still feel like a movie like this that is able to uniquely communicate feelings that maybe not everyone has or maybe not everyone's concerned with 
in a way that is so effective is more valuable than another movie that does the same thing as a lot of other movies that people might enjoy? Oh, I can. I totally. I agree with that analysis. Sure. I agree with that analysis. Um, and it's cool that we can present something and like try and learn from those things. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just shameful that a lot of other people can't. No, I. <laughs> I don't know that. I wouldn't say shameful. No. I, I think it's just people like maybe either not having an interest in film or just not coming to film outside of not coming to film for more than I just want to forget my real life for a little bit. Like I, I totally understand so art versus escapism. Yeah, and I think that that's a that's a thing that comes up in regards to like film as value for for a lot of people. It's just like a lot of people don't want to come to movies to think about something, and that's I think fine. Like you, you can do that. There's you know <laughs> you should psychoanalyze every point of your life. You don't have to do Taylor Swift album. <laughs> I'm applying a full Freudian. But like I, I do think that like uh, Plato was on this or Aristotle was on this something when he said like the life. A, a, a life unexamined is, unexamined is not worth living. And it's just like, yeah, I think I'd rather go about examining every aspect of my life than not a- examining any aspect of it. I think it's so important to do that. I, I, I think I would be genuinely unhappy if I didn't do that. So, like, I get it. And part of me is like, oh, I kind of wish I could do that, too. <laughs> but I feel like I'm just kind of, like, cursed to forever just, like, rewatch movies and be like, oh, what does this mean? Uh. Yeah. I think this movie also tells you pretty immediately this is a movie for people who like watching movies and thinking about movies. I, I don't think it, it, it gives itself to that specific audience pretty quickly just with all the, the filmic references that started off. There's probably a lot of, like, random passerbys. Who were just like seeing it and then Yeah, and even that the the like mid movie cut where the film reel yeah. kinda breaks, like it's it's that definitely reflexive about being a movie. Why did it scare you, Joey? Because it was loud. <laughs> it's jarring, right? Yes, it is jarring, but also just like the noise. I'm like, oh what the fuck? Why why do you think that happened there? <laughs> because they had to to change the real they had they wanted to reset everyone's perspective on these characters did that did that happen right after the like kind of special effects scene where their faces kind of yeah, like that's that it's, that it's moment? like where they're like standing behind each other where alma goes to bed elizabeth wanders into her room and they kind of just like kind of like i think this is the point that you reference in that they become one mm-hmm they merge they merge and just kind of yeah that gives the whole argument of them being one person like infinitely more credence yeah but again i don't think that this movie lives or dies by the fact that there's one or two people it's just they for sure the the thing that we both agree on is that they are one person at one point and i think that's worth i think that's the meat of this movie i think that's where bergman is trying to say something with this movie about what the human condition is and what it's like to be someone who sees yourself in a less than like stunning light and also one second less than flattering light and another just the grandest of light uh, but uh one of the scenes that really stands out to me is the one where elizabeth's husband shows up and alma's the one who kind of takes the reins is he blind i that's not the vibe i got like at that point it felt to me like it was setting up a twist that that Alma was the patient the whole time yeah. and her memories messed up and 
I, I, yeah, I was kind of puzzled by how to read that specific moment. I was just straight up confused. Because she straight up, like, she straight up has sex yeah. with Elizabeth's husband. Because we all know Alma was, is in, married to Heinrich. Yeah. Heinrich, man. Heinrich didn't show up once in this whole film. <laughs> Heinrich's a bad husband. But Elizabeth's husband, he's too, too caring. <laughs> he cares too much and shows too much affection. I, but yeah, that's one scene that I just absolutely have zero idea of what happened. And I think that's, that's exciting to me because that means that I will probably watch this movie again maybe in two years, maybe in three years and just be like, oh, maybe I'll learn something about this scene in that viewing. There's, there's so much in this movie for me to revisit and just try and glean something new from, which is exciting, which I think makes a very good movie. Like if you have like a if you wanted like a film ass top one hundred film ass movies and be like, nah, you gotta you can come to any of these movies at any point of your life again and again and you'll learn something new every time. I'm into that. Hmm. And I like being challenged by something like this because honestly, I've never felt more helpless watching a movie than this one. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just along for the ride. I'm like, all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah, I recently watched uh, Mulholland Drive again, uh-huh. and there's a lot of shared DNA, I think, between these movies, but I found this movie so much more, like, enjoyable mm-hmm. and able to, like, latch on to it, and I wanted to think about this movie, whereas Mulholland Drive is one of those movies that, at the end, I just, like, get up, and I'm like, I don't know, man, anyway, <laughs> and I was I was glad to have a version of that kind of experience that I uh, was just excited to, like, process instead of walk away from so how, how much of that is because you think it's just the small scale of the movie we we really do yeah. only have two actresses yeah i i like that a lot and it did remind me a lot of like a small budget kind of stage play mm-hmm. which i always like in a movie where it has that vibe so yeah how many movies in 1966 were predominantly women like this honestly maybe more than today yeah i would say so um interesting like this is what after Psycho, too. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, we're we're definitely in an era where you definitely see stuff like this. But I, I think in the U.S. you'd be hard pressed to find movies like this specifically. Everything is very like grand arcs and sweeping drama, whereas this feels a lot more quiet. Yeah, which uh, is also why it was like it, it feels not of this time. Yeah. When I'm trying to frame it against anything more modern, I'm like, there's so many things just between like you know the the, the small scale or the fact that mostly the small scale. Yeah, uh, I, I you had earlier had said the word pretentious, and and this isn't like a weird attack against you your use of that word, but I always find that big that's such a that's such a volatile word. I think the word pretentious because like it means. Having more abil- or having less ability to than what you claim to possess, and I don't know that that's the case with this movie. I think Emer Bergman shows off, and him and his team show off, well, really just a, like an impressive command of filmmaking, where it's just like, dude, that's some that's some good ass filmmaking. Like you you did you you made the pictures in a way a lot of people to struggle to. But I, I think it's just. You can argue about semantics, but I think you're like looking at like the literal definition of pretentious, and pretentious in my brain might has but what, what, incorrectly what devolved your... to mean something that's more like this is this is highfalutin. 
but like, is it like, like snooty? I, I'm just trying to, to unpack the word so that we can figure out why a lot of people use that word yeah, in I, a way that I don't think they mean. For me, the word pretentious always has the connotation that like you, you talked around things more than you needed to and that you, um, yeah, I guess that's it. I can't find the words. But I would it's say also, like, it's hard to like put it in a, in like a non-clinical sense like yeah. how we use the word because I feel like I'm maybe I'm just using and interpreting the word pretentious wrong for a long time because I wouldn't I wouldn't think about it from that much of like a from a clinical standpoint it's just more but what is it specifically though is it the fact that it just feels more artsy than other movies yeah it feels artsy and snooty but do you think it fails at conveying the things that it's trying to? Because I feel like when you say artsy and snooty, my immediate reaction is, oh, it, it tries to be something that it's not. And I just, I don't, I don't. Well, I, 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 don't I don't think that's what artsy and snooty is to me now. Mm. Like. Is, is artsy and snooty a bad thing? No. Then why, why is that a criticism, though? I, this isn't me attacking. I'm just really just trying to unpack that because I think that's a thing that a lot of our listeners or viewers might lob at this movie. And I just want to know why. What is it, uh, what is it about being it's artsy? Like, it's that, like an aura that it has. That turns it's, people- not like it, it's not like it does a certain thing that makes it artsy. It's, it's a collection of, of its holes between the entire way that it looks or the way that it presents all those weird jump cuts or the way that it starts at the beginning or the way there's only two is actors. It, or- is that like a, a self-importance that it has that you find unappealing? Like it takes itself Ooh, too that's seriously? I might have to unpack that. Um... I don't, I don't think something inherently taking yourself seriously is, is a negative. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're using all these words, or at least I am in, like, negative-ish connotations when I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're just, like, it, it is, like, artsy. Like a, a artsy personal a preference where you're just not as interested in things that have that, that tone. Yeah, that, that's probably closer to, to what I think. But, but I think in trying to wrestle with... And I, I will watch a lot of quote unquote like artsy films that I have to realize that my armchair like reaction is to just say, ah, I was too artsy. But instead of saying that out loud or just like internalizing that, I try and figure out what is it about the thing that I didn't enjoy. And I think we're getting there with you. What is it about this movie that you just didn't enjoy? I was bored. But what about it made you bored? Is it because it was too slow? Is it too quiet? It didn't have really like any drastic musical shifts or anything. Uh, but, but in all intents and purposes, I think that the content of the movie is something that you would have enjoyed had it been on something a little bit sexier. Yeah, I think the rapper is just a little bit too old school. My personal preference mm. is to not uh, so it feels enjoy that. Were you dated. like waiting for... for- plot points to no i i think i realized after maybe 30 to 40 minutes that that wasn't coming mm-hmm. so i wasn't like a oh man this is gonna be like a like a twist or a breakdown any minute or some, now like, she's gonna stab thing. her and yeah yeah i i don't i don't think i was waiting for like that aha moment mm-hmm. i was just like man this this is slow and it requires a lot of attention i don't think i have the attention to to give to it because i'm not enjoying it enough to put forth that much effort mm. Mm. Hmm. So it, it it falls back onto me because it's it's a me not being able to like either muster my way through something. Well, I mean, I think that's just the problem of creation, though. Like, it doesn't matter 
what how good a thing I make might be if someone is just not able to be into it. That's I feel like no one's fault really. It's just a sort of thing like where hey, maybe you just don't have to be into. 100%. But would I have been into this if I if I haven't acclimated myself to a world where I don't have to read anything to where content's consumed in fifteen seconds to where if I don't see some kind of snap cut ever. Every every three seconds with some kind of a music beat that like it's not entertainment. I feel like you're selling yourself short. I think even just based on the movies we've watched already, it's not like you only gravitate towards the big loud musical. Things. I did love West Side Story, <laughs> but like I, you hated Jurassic Park, which is some <laughs> of the most digestible big. Like you 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 can just ride that movie. It's designed to be enjoyed. Yeah, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I don't like. Maybe I'm at this weird spot, which feels like it's true. The more that I think about it, I haven't said it out loud yet, which is probably making this very confusing and interesting. <laughs> that like I don't like that when they're at any pole. Like something being too digestible or too indigestible. Like like there's a certain point where I want to live in the middle. Right. Where I resent things that are too digestible for being too mainstream. Hmm. But things that are so meaty, I don't have the attention span to chew through. So I don't like them either. So on one end of the spectrum, you have Jurassic Park. And on the other, you have Persona. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I would without a doubt say are my two least favorite movies that we've watched. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, yeah. For completely different reasons. But they're like diametrically opposed as to what kind of movies they are. And I think that we've we've made a a breakthrough today because we found the endpoints on Joey's taste for film. But I do wonder, though, I do wonder how much of Joey's maybe dislike for Persona can be conditioned to some extent. Like, what if we present him with similar movies that are different like sure but maybe just as heady but you maybe a little more digestible i'd be like hey guys i didn't can we push the recording again (laughs) (laughs) like maybe there's a a fine point where we maybe instead of bergman we can give him some fellini kind of thing because fellini's definitely like a little more sexy and a little more i think what joey thinks of as like Top tier filmmaking, mm-hmm. but still with that like seems a lot oddly of, backhanded. But still, no, I think Fellini's freaking badass. Uh, but I think that he maybe adheres to like right before falling to falling victim to that like this is too much. This is too too much to take in, and it's too quiet. I think Fellini is like grand. He, he's like Ingmar Bergman is like Tarkovsky in that. They they are some like heraldic ass filmmakers who just make a lot of movies that are really quiet a lot of time. And oddly enough, Ingmar Bergman's favorite film director is Tarkovsky, and Tarkovsky's f- favorite filmmaker is Bergman. Fun, fun fact. They're both huge fans of each other, <laughs> which makes a lot of sense because both of their movies might be described as someone who doesn't normally watch a lot of movies as boring. <laughs> but Joey... Were you completely bored by this movie? Nick, I was pretty bored by this movie. Really? There's nothing in this movie that grabbed you. Like, even the glass scene. I feel like the glass scene, out of context, is just good filmmaking. I think a lot of the film is, like, decent filmmaking or good filmmaking. Like, just because you, you, can, you can kind of... Even the character is not saying anything. You can kind of tell what she's feeling because of the way that she's acting. Like, I'm looking at what's going on. So I feel like that makes it good filmmaking. Or the glass scene is interesting to, like, see. I don't think there's... Is there any dialogue in that? No. It's, yeah. It's completely silent. 
Yeah, and I think which is cool. What, what's the thing? Show not tell. That that's the that's the pinnacle of what filmmaking should be. <laughs> at least in my opinion, I think that a cinema in its purest form is that scene where she breaks a, bl- a glass bottle and she decides: Is she going to do something about it, or is she going to let Elizabeth st- stand or step on it? And that I think is what it feels mean and almost snooty in my own part to say it. But I think that is what all good film should strive to be. It's something that you can put on silent, you can mute the TV, and understand the story through these collections of images. And I think that this movie executes on that. Here to your first. Nick says every movie should be silent. I think that, <laughs> I think that if you want to make something that is truly a masterpiece, like something – if you strive to make the best of the best, the most like optimized use of the medium, I think you should be able to put the movie on mute. And just take it for the series of moving images. That is, that is a weird hill to die on, but that is my hill to die on, and I think that that I is. I mean, that discredits so many other parts of filmmaking. Well, no, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's the most important part. And as someone who is like, a, well, how a, many times do you watch movies on on mute? Uh, you don't have to though, and that's the thing that's nice about it. But I think that you could and still gleam a lot from it. That seems like an unnecessary use case. Like, man, this movie's really good when I don't listen to it. But, but it's the example of showing and not telling. Cora, what were you going to say? I was going to say I agree with that, and I think that that is proven by the, the flip that a really good movie, you should be able to read the screenplay of it and see quality in it there as well, where, like, all these different parts have to be strong enough to stand on their own as all. And I think that everything else, like... Thank you for being our center, Coral. <laughs> I think that you have, you know, the, the, the actual, the act of moving pictures, and I think that is cinema at its core, but I also think that everything else just adds so much more texture to what movies can be, and that's what makes something truly special. Because you have something that at its core works on mute, but when you add everything else in, it's just something, it's like unlike any dessert you've ever had like it's just something that's so good it's so juicy it's so tasty and you just you just want to gobble it up and it's just perfect and you will never have something as good as that until you have something different that is evocative of the thing you just ate like that's what it is that's what i want if i could make one one thing that was like that then i'd be like wow i'm good that's it (laughs) i can i can retire and call it quits (laughs) And uh, like Joey said, that there's the no, no, I can't remember. It was a like a quiet moment where we were talking about earlier, and you said like no one might have noticed this, but the fact that some people did might have been like a victory for the filmmaker. But regardless, I'm I'm going crazy over here, Joey. In in the in the scope in the Hall of Fame of Joey hates movies cinema, where would you place Persona? I genuinely wasn't sure if I wanted to put it before or after traffic. <laughs> I genuinely can they both be be tied for? Like no, you place? have to you have to line it up. Man, someone is gonna one day make like a chart, and it'll be great. Um, I I think it's. I think that I'm, this this whole line is cute. It's worse. Pers- <laughs> Ingmar Bergman's persona is worse than Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funnier answer I think the funniest thing <laughs> which, which, which pains me because the, 
in my brain, I want to say that Jurassic Park is my least favorite movie that we've watched because I think that's the funniest thing moving forward. <laughs> but I think I did genuinely like Persona less. Okay. Finally, I'm not the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Those dinosaurs will have another day in the sun. <laughs> I, I don't even have much else. Like, I wrote, I wrote less notes than normal, but I feel like I don't even have anything else to talk about. I don't know if I don't know if we skinned or missed over anything that, that you were interested in, Coral. Or yeah, was there something that we haven't? Yeah, I, I, I think that we covered covered the lion's share of it. it. It's truly an experience where this might be really confusing if you didn't do your homework. I don't know if we can do. Uh, it feels like the hardest movie to just talk about without the context mm. of seeing also. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you should not listen to this if you haven't seen the movie. Because it'll well, make, if you're here, you already have. <laughs> it'll make no sense to you. But, but Cora, what about you? Did you enjoy this movie? I loved it. You really it's, liked it? It's one of my favorite movies that uh, we've watched for this. Yeah. Nice. Where, where would you put this in the continuity of Joey Hates movies? <laughs> oh, boy. I'd have to look at a list. I mean, The Thing is one of my favorite movies. Uh-huh. And Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies. Um this is definitely my favorite thing that I watched having not seen until we watched for this podcast this is my favorite. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I definitely, I felt the same about it the way I did initially, but I feel like I learned a little bit more about the movie and myself in mm. this second viewing, which I was pretty stoked about. I'm happy for you, Nick. <laughs> but that does it for this episode of Joey Hates Movie. But before we go, I believe... It is Coral's turn. Oh, is to it? To choose a movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can also edit this part and, like, if you need time to act. No, I have some it. some in the chamber. Um, I think I think going off this discussion we had today, I think I know what I'm going to pick, and it's going to be a double feature because they're both very short. Oh. Uh, but I'm, we're going to do a Buster Keaton double feature. We're going to do Sherlock Jr. and The General. I Keaton. think that Coral has made a very wise decision. I'm Mr. Keaton. Yes, this is strategic. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? You know anything about Buster Keaton? Um, is he the the long lost brother of Busta Rhymes and does he often <laughs> bust? A yes, move? <laughs> he is. How did you know? He busts some moves. <laughs> No, I, I have no context for Buster Keaton. I'm not even going to try and lie and pretend or make something up. I Good. have no Good. context yeah. for Buster Keaton. Great. I, I don't know if Sherlock Jr. is like the kid's version of Sherlock Holmes, where you're like, <laughs> hey, it's like Blue's Clues with Meet Sherlock. It is not. Great. Well, so it's Sherlock Jr. and The General. Yes. And they're short. They are. Well, I'm gonna have to watch that. I think at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna convince Dick Coral and everyone that that I'd like to, to record about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Maybe we can do that before Nick goes on vacation, so yeah. that we can like release it while he's on vacation. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely. Maybe like since we already watched that, we can record all three of those at the same time next time. Wait, all three? Well, oh, well, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Maybe. I, Got it. We can feel it out. But that's but both of both I guess all three of those movies or two episodes are coming down the pipeline. Yes. And if I may be candid, I've never seen a Buster Keaton movie. Oh, I'm so excited. So I'm very excited to check. I'm it. not gonna look anything up. I truly, deeply love Buster Keaton. I've seen a lot of his stuff, but I've never mm-hmm. seen it from beginning to end. So right. I'm very excited to finally do that. But that does it for this episode of Joey Hates Movies. If you're listening to us on 
wherever you listen Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the podcast places. We don't have to plug it to you because you already got to the end, but you should tell a friend or support us. Right, Nick? Yeah, but consider backing us over on Patreon.com forward slash CyberGarbage. By backing us at just a $5 tier, you get access early access to Joey Hates Movies and our video game book club called Garbage Game Club. And you get it early, you get audio forms, or if you'd rather put faces to the voices, you can watch the video version of the podcast. We also have a bunch of other garbage up there that we do. We highly recommend you check it out. Your support keeps these lights going. Literally. It's going to pay our rent. So Part of it. Thank you, guys, and we will see you next time after we watch Buster Keaton's Sherlock Jr. and The General. Bye.